KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there. Happy 2020. You're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and for a decade of my life, I was a touring musician with the band Asleep at the Wheel, and my favorite moments were always before or after the gig, when people would sit around and play the music they were into and tell you why they loved it. I got off the road a couple of years ago, but I still long to talk to musicians about music, and so I created this podcast because, in my opinion, musicians are the most beautiful when they're talking about the music that changed them. In this episode of this song, you'll hear from Emily Haynes and Jimmy Shaw from the band Metric. We are big fans of that band here at KUTX, the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast, and we really dug their 2018 record, The Art of Doubt. It signaled the band's return to, like, rock. After their 2015 Pagans in Vegas, which was more electronic-inspired, though that pull towards, like, synth sounds has been a part of the band since the very beginning, as I found out when I spoke to Emily and Jimmy backstage at the Austin City Limits Music Festival. They both told me about how hearing Teardrop by Massive Attack early on in their musical partnership both inspired them and also kind of terrified them. We used to have this little studio um, in Toronto on a little street called Mercer Street next to the CBC building. It was like I had this little, it was a very, very small room, but uh, I remember listening to that song in there and just feeling like, it was sort of a mix between feeling like anything was now sonically possible and that I would never achieve anything. (laughs) Um, because I felt like it, it had it had gone to the heights and depths of what I didn't know existed, which is a an enlightening and somehow taking wind out of sails moment at the same time, you know. I was hearing detail to the extent that I don't know that I'd really heard before and detail that was really it was really upfront and forward. I mean just even the even the like rim shot that is the backbeat of that song is such a specific it's so meticulous and so designed and the reverb that comes off of it is the decay on the reverb is is perfect because of the tempo of the song and I immediately tried to like rip off every single trick that I could <laughs> I could hear in it, you know, and backward from backwards to pianos to, uh, you know, it's like I probably spent five years trying to like sneak vinyl static into the back of like any <laughs> recording we were doing, which now is just unbelievably passe. But um, at the time, it was just so cool.
I think it was also the um, incredible vulnerability and delicacy of her voice. It's like how the the like power of the track, but then she could be so precise as well and so not like in some bar or in a venue or in an arena or in any kind of live reality, like singing her song. Like she's singing so beautifully and so intricately without having to really like shout it from the rooftops. For me, the way that her voice was just treated, it was almost like it's in your imagination. Well, that, I mean, she was a master, especially in Cocteau Twins, which, yeah. of singing without necessarily it being in English or a language at all. And and so it had this vagueness to it where, you know, the in contrast to the meticulous production and things that you could hear so perfectly, there was a murkiness to their music, which was like, it drew out an emotion, but it's not a clear one. And so lyrically, there you're getting something, but you're not, it's not beating you down with like what it is exactly. And you're not getting clear lyrics and you're not getting clear intention but it doesn't mean it's the emotion isn't like really palpable well when she says her last four lines are you're stumbling in the dark you're stumbling in the dark you're stumbling in the dark which is basically what the music sounds like it's a very imaginative sound like it felt like they're scoring something scoring the inside of your head I think the last thing for me really, which was so powerful, was I could hear their confidence. And I remember that was the part of it that, that was like almost defeating because I just didn't have the same confidence at the time. Um, and I found it really inspiring and really like driving, like, like almost like uh, scary because I realized that it was gonna be such a necessary part of being a rock star, really, you know, they sounded like rock stars to me in a very unconventional, non-Keith Richards kind of way. Um, no, there's like not like a ego part of it. It's just, just confidence. And so you guys had met and you knew you wanted to play music together before you kind of like heard this song and what did you think that was going to look like? Like what kind of music did you think you would be making together? That's a really good question. Yeah, I think we didn't have any preconceived things because you were doing your thing and I was doing my thing. For us, you know, me meeting Jimmy is this amazing musician. He's just, you know, left Juilliard and I've just finished school and we're like, 
okay, we're going to do stuff. Um, it's really exciting. We know we're going to do, it's going to be, it's going to be significant. It's going to be what we're going to do with our lives. Um, I felt like we knew it was going to be electronic and I knew I was going to be writing songs. Like I, I knew that you were into the production side and I knew that I wanted to be a writer more than anything. I think I was pretty relieved that I wasn't going to ever have to try writing lyrics ever again. <laughs> and I was like, that's all I want to do. So that was a good... Because it sounds like you heard this song right around the time when you actually did start writing together. Oh, yeah, like earliest days. Like there's a nine in the number, in the year. There's a nine. <laughs> and the it's month. not and 2000. The day. It was 9.19 p.m. on September 9th, 1999. <laughs> so, so when you did kind of, did this give you like a template for how you guys wanted to do this? Like what it was going to look like and how you were going to... Yeah, it did. Writing together? it did, but we were wrong about it. It's it not what ended up happening at all. It's <laughs> what we tried to do, and then it's turned into like what's not going to work. You can't play shows like that. We needed to play you shows. You can. It's just well, that wasn't we what we wanted to we, be. Yeah, we needed Josh and Jules, and we needed to we needed to plug in some louder instruments, and we needed to go play shitty clubs and and get in a van. And it was like we couldn't be ma- we couldn't be Massive Attack. It wasn't going to work. I feel as though what it, in fact the way that it's ended up integrated and staying you know that early process has stayed with us is that that's really the first leg of the journey that we do together before we bring in Josh and Jules and producers and other people so it's very unsexily called pre-production I call it like my entire life which is because I'm always writing so I really don't feel like calling it pre-production um, I don't have another word for it. It's just called my life. Um, but so that's now where, you know, I'm writing constantly, putting things together, doing my own little version of something to present to Jimmy, bringing that into the studio. He has this incredible scope of uh, instruments and skill with those instruments to express a bunch of ideas, get a foundation, build the thing. Then if we're like, hey, that actually stands, you know, then we can bring in Josh and Jules to like make it our band and then work with a producer to take it to the next level so it's now just sort of in sequence in a way you know what I mean it's like step two got somewhat close to some of that idea and that, those production concepts more later in our life where like with Pagans in Vegas there's a song called The Governess that's probably like where we got to really delve into some of those tones and some of that energy and some of that spirit more than we ever did on any other record. Um, so yeah, weirdly it was like from 99 to 2014. 15 years later it came back and we were like now we get to do Teardrop. <laughs> Say you were, I didn't catch your name Falling down to earth, down from a higher plane Oh, it's been decades, say what did you see? Oh, I've been so lonely, won't you keep me company? 
But it sounds like the song got you like got you speaking to each other musically. That's, yeah, yeah, it was way more about of, the inspiration than it yeah. was like a replication, you know? Yeah, and I guess I'm just saying, I don't think it's exactly like sonic manifestation of that influence is harder to find, but the but it's in there in the process behind the scenes always. It's like a way, the way in, a way how of are doing we going to make, yeah, how are we going to write together? Yeah, exactly, because you got like four dudes in a room or like, you know, we know all the various, you know, positions that you can assume when writing or like the horrors of modern songwriting farms where you like sit in a hotel room with a bunch of dudes with laptops and then your song is number one. <laughs> um, there's that version. I, if I have to choose between that and calling my whole life pre-production, I will go with calling my whole life pre-production, but I really would like to not have to choose. This is Now or Never Now by Metric from their latest record, Art of Doubt. Emily and Jimmy did a stripped-down version of this song for one of our pop-up sessions backstage at the festival, and you can find a link to that video on the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org or in your, like, podcast player, along with a link to their new record. And as always, you can find a Spotify playlist there where you can hear all the songs that we mentioned in this episode all the way through. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or the NPR One app or even better, tell a friend about us. That would help a ton. And thank you in advance. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.